Shalom, this is Rabbi Thomas Davis Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue bringing you a commentary on Parasha number 15, Bo, which means go. And this is found in, uh, in Shemot, or uh, Exodus 10.1 through 13.16. So the fact that this week's parasha occurred in the first month of the Gregorian calendar provides a wonderful example of how far man has fallen from God's sequence for the months of the year, including the timing of significant biblical holy days. Establishing the true beginning of the year is important because of the adversaries and man's intrusion into biblical timing. God's Tamaldim, his disciples, become aware as they learned that one of Hasatan's objectives is to confuse people. Changing the times and seasons is one method that has proven very effective. A few examples include the Catholic Church claiming the authority to change the Sabbath to Sunday, which includes many Christian denominations regardless of biblical proof to the contrary. On the other side of the aisle, rabbinic Jews follow a calendar that was manipulated to meet various agendas of the ruling authority at the time. It's easy to think of days honoring specific events in history that have been changed for the convenience of man. At Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, a calendar was found that's based on 364 days. Now, this is important because it divides into both four and seven, a symmetrical kind of calendar in which significant days fall on the same weekday every year. Wow, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? This contracts with the Gregorian calendar used mostly today, which is 365.25 days with a leap year every four years, and the lunar calendar used by the rabbinic Jewish community today, which is influenced by many celestial observations and halakhic decisions in the oral Torah and the Talmud on such things as what to do when major events fall on Shabbat. The Qumran calendar is consistent and appears to include the beliefs of the members of the community regarding perfection and holiness. With God's directive to establish the first month of the year as Aviv, also called Nisan, and the Essene calendar, we can rest assured we're starting the true biblical year according to God's designation. That means Passover is always on a Tuesday evening. The import of the previous explanation concerning the importance of doing our best to discern the correct days and times of Adonai is this. If we want to follow God's Torah, as we run the race to win the prize, we must learn to follow the road signs as closely as possible just as it is used to take time and effort to look at maps and lay out the best route to reach our destination rather than pushing a few buttons on our GPS and assuming it will guide us correctly, we must look to the map God has provided, his Torah. Read it, study it, and follow it. We must resist attempts by the adversary and his disciples, which may include friends and neighbors who encourage us to take the path of least resistance and follow a route just because it's tradition or convenient. With this background information, we can now rest assured that the true biblical new year is Aviv, Nisan, and continue our observance of the designated times of God. For seven days, we're commanded to eat matzah, which starts on the 15th of Aviv. This day, and this is Exodus 12:15, by the way, this day which starts after Pesach or Passover at sundown is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasts for seven days, taking us to the 21st of Aviv. On the 15th around midnight, the people left with their dough wrapped and carried on their shoulders. There was no time for leavening, so this fits in perfectly with God's command that the Pesach lamb was to be eaten with matzah. 
because there are three designated festivals running consecutively, I'm going to jump to Leviticus 23, where we're introduced to another biblical complexity, when to celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. Notice you don't see Easter in here anywhere. That was a mistranslation of Pesach in the King James Version. They have their own agenda. Starting at Leviticus chapter 23, 9 through 15, we read, Adonai said to Moshe, Tell the people of Israel, after you enter the land I'm giving you and you harvest its ripe crops, you are to bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the Kohen. He is to wave the sheaf before Adonai so that you will be accepted. The Kohen is to wave it on the day after the Shabbat. Then in verse 15 it reads, From the day after the day of rest, that is, from the day you bring the sheaf for waving, you're to count seven full weeks, until the day after the seventh week, you are to count 50 days, then you are to present a new grain offering to Adonai, unquote. So the big question in this case is, to which Sabbath does this scripture refer? Pesach is a Sabbath, which according to the Dead Sea Scrolls would be on a Tuesday. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that immediately follows Pesach is a Sabbath, which would be a Wednesday, as is the seventh day of the same feast. This means there are three possibilities for when the Feast of First Fruits could be celebrated. According to the Essene calendar, this festival falls on the first day after the regular Sabbath, which would fall on a Sunday after the day of rest, as it is written in Leviticus 23.15. The analogy in this lesson introduced in our Padasha in Exodus 12.1-34 and expounded upon in Leviticus 23 provides the information and validation needed to celebrate the first three festivals of God with confidence and that we observe them as close to the original calendar as possible in this current time in history. The calendars are way off, but we have to try to do the best we can and not just accept anything we see. God honors a humble heart that seeks to please him and follow his Torah. If there are any errors, may he correct us as he guides our path with his rod and staff, which comforts us. One final comment before we move into the Haftarah concerning God's continual intervention in our lives. This parasha is replete with events leading up to and including the Exodus that describe how God uses not only his own people to accomplish his will, but also uses our enemies. We must remember that Pharaoh hardened his own heart throughout the plagues and judgments, exercising his free will given by God to all humans. Pharaoh's selfishness and disregard for his own people is described as Exodus 10.7 describes, quote, Don't you understand yet that Egypt is being destroyed? Even his servants knew. In chapter 11, verse 3, we read, Adonai made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, the Israelites. Moreover, Moshe was regarded by Pharaoh's servants and the people as a very great man in the land of Egypt, unquote. Pharaoh's hardness of heart against the God of Israel is implied in chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, where he refers to God as, quote, your God, unquote. Yet he asks Moshe for a blessing when he finally relented and allowed them to leave. Furthermore, his lack of belief that the God of Israel is the one true God, Pharaoh asks Moshe for forgiveness. He asks Moshe for forgiveness, not God. Only asking that Moshe intercede on his behalf to have God remove the locusts. Hard to the end. Our Haftarahs in Jeremiah 46, 13 through 28. And this Haftarah complements our Padishah, which describes the utter subjugation of Egypt, 
with prophecy of another defeat that was to take place some 800 years later. Egypt was swept away by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, after a long competition for world domination. Jeremiah had another name for the king, Nebuchadrezzar, because of his eventual persecution and destruction of Israel. Jeremiah uses various similes describing Egypt's hopelessness against Babylon after making it clear that the reason for Babylon's domination is because Hashem will buffet Egypt, rendering her haughtiness hopeless against the northern conqueror. According to an article posted on January 7, 24, by Israel 365, the real enemy and conqueror of the United States will be the Ukraine, which the author of the article believes will be occupied by Russia. And I'm going to quote this article here. Quote, indeed, Russia has been identified as the, quote, threat from the north, unquote, by other prophecies as well. When describing the participants of the pre-Messiah war of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel warns of the, quote, chief priest, prince of Meshech and Tubal, unquote. That's Ezekiel 38.2. In Hebrew, the word chief is rosh, R-O-S-H, which is similar to the word Russia and has been interpreted by many to refer to Russia. This prophecy was originally made by Rabbi Eliyah of Vilna, also known as the Vilna Gaon, a Jewish scholar from the 18th century who is well known for his contributions in understanding the messianic process. The announcement of the messianic revelation originally publicized by Rabbi Lazar Brody stated, quote, when you hear that the Russians have captured the city of Crimea, you should know that the times of the Messiah have started that his steps are being heard. And when you hear that the Russians have reached the city of Constantinople, that's today's Istanbul, you should put on your Shabbat clothes and don't take them off because it means that the Messiah is about to come any minute, unquote. Now, if you go to our website at rabdavis.org, you can download this parasha, and it's got the two uh, internet uh, references uh, where you can go and actually read these, these articles. The good news at the end of the Haftarah is that God assures that Jacob, Israel, need not worry. His enemies will be destroyed, although Jacob will be punished for past transgressions. His punishment will be done in a measured way. He will never be destroyed, and when all his enemies are destroyed, he will survive stronger than ever. The one condition is that Jacob is told to not fear, but serve God, because Israel's destiny is dependent on service of God. If people who claim to be God's servants truly submit to him as their master, they can feel secure that they will emerge triumphant. This if-then concept in our Haftarah is consistent with the entirety of God's Torah regarding our expected obedience out of love to God if we want to reach the finish line victorious. All right, our Brit Kaddisha, reading Revelation 8. 6, 9 through 12, and 16, 1 through 21. Revelation 9, 4 refers to those who have not the seal of God on their foreheads. Uh, and this points us to Revelation 7, where the 144,000 are sealed with the seal of the living Elohim. In Revelation 14, 1, we read that these 144,000 have, quote, his, the lambs, Father's name written on their foreheads, unquote. They're also described as, quote, first fruits unto God and to the Lamb, unquote. That's Revelation 14, 4. In Hebrew, first fruits and firstborn are the same word. 
Remember that Passover is to be a sign upon one's hand and forehead. That's in Exodus 13, 9 and 16. And that at Passover, the blood of the lamb redeems the firstborn and protects them from the plague of the firstborn. The seal of the living God in Revelation is clearly connected to the mitzvot of Passover, the tefillin, and the mezuzah. This seems in Revelation to be contrasted with the quote-unquote mark of the beast in Revelation 13, 16, and 17, and 14, 9, 11, 24. So let us examine the related passage in Ezekiel 9. Here Yahweh sends an angelic being to set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that are done in the midst thereof. Then he sends six beings with slaughter weapons to kill all of those that lack this mark. The being which marked them then goes before the throne of Yahweh, takes fire, and casts it down. This clearly parallels 7, 1 through 8 and 8, 1 through 5. The question is, what are the abominations that marked the marked, the sealed ones of Ezekiel 9, are mourning about? Well, the answer is found in the previous chapter. Throughout Ezekiel chapter 8, we're told of various abominations. The first of these involves an image of jealousy. Scholars generally identify this as an idol of Ashtart. Haley's and Unger's Bible handbooks makes this identification. Ashtart is also known as Ishtar and Easter. That's why I make a point to say, make sure you study these things. Easter is a mistranslation of Pesach in the King's, King James Bible. It is not Easter. Easter is not commanded in God's Torah, and it is not on the biblical calendar. The next abomination involves men worshiping in the dark, and the next involved a woman weeping for Tammuz. Finally, we're shown men facing the east and worshiping the sun in the east. These images all point to observances in Christendom today. Roman Catholics commonly worship images of Mary, whom they call the mother of God, a title of the goddess Ishtar, or Easter. There is a period of mourning for the dead, the dead deity, that's Lent, the time in which altar candles are removed and the altar is dark, followed by rejoicing as his resurrection with a sunrise service. So these abominations, dear Christians, Catholics, that those marked on their foreheads are mourning about involve the observance of Easter. We need to get away from that. If you love God, you will follow his instructions. It's as simple as that. If you don't know what they are, start studying God's Torah, God's instructions. Find a good instructor who has full knowledge of the Old and New Testaments and can teach you the truth of God's word. Tammuz, that was a Sumerian god of vegetation. The worship of Tammuz by women in Jerusalem was revealed as one of the abominations in Ezekiel 8, 14, and 15. According to the pagan religion, Tammuz was betrayed by his lover Ishtar and as a result dies each autumn. The wilting of the vegetation at that time of year is seen as a sign of his death. And this caused great mourning in the ancient world and was why the women in Jerusalem wept. The English word Easter comes from the name of the Anglo-Saxon goddess of the dawn. We can see this intentional mistranslation in the King James Version of the Bible. So those with the seal of God are observing Passover, and those who do not receive his seal are observing Easter. There is a clear relationship revealed in these passages as follows. Passover, 
seal of God, tefillin and mezuzahs are literal manifestations of this seal. Easter, mark of the beast. Time will tell what this actual mark is, whether it's physical, spiritual, or both. In this new light, let me re-examine our Torah passage. And it, Passover, shall be a sign unto you upon your hand and for a memorial between your eyes. Exodus 13.9 And it, Passover, shall be a token upon your hand and for frontlets between your eyes. Passover is to be a memorial between our eyes as a seal upon our foreheads, and those with this seal should mourn because of the abomination of Easter and all it represents. Furthermore, according to history and prophecy in God's Torah, things are going to get a whole lot harder for believers as we plummet toward the Messiah's return. We must learn to read and follow the road signs God provides for us in his Torah. They're all there. He will see his people through to victory in the future, just as he delivered the obedient Israelites out of the spiritual and physical Egypt. And I'm talking about Israelites. It doesn't mean all biological Jews. It means those who carry the testimony of Yeshua. That means come to reconciliation of God through Yeshua's sacrifice and guard the commands of Hashem. This is said in different ways seven times in the book of Revelation. That is the definition of a true believer. Look at also Romans chapters 1 through 3 and John chapter 14, where Yeshua speaks of those who love him are those who follow his commands. Well, you can't follow them if you don't know them. Then as now, we must be at the ready to follow him quickly, perhaps in a so-called eat-and-run scenario. Only time will tell. Shalom. Again, if you have any questions, any comments, anything you would like me to um, give a teaching on, please go to our website at rabdavis.org, and you can go under the Ask the Rabbi link and post your comments there. Also, as I said, the internet references I used in this uh, message are, are found uh, in the parasha that's also posted. All right. God bless, and thank you so much for, for listening.